Well, one of the reasons um, why uh, many times people are a little hesitant to actually, you know, open up the pages of this book and to uh, read it for themselves is because they're under the impression um, that it's just, you know, far too complicated, right? It's just far too complicated to actually understand. Uh, But see, here's the amazing thing, and here's the surprising thing, and and here's the thing that if maybe you haven't been to church for a while, um, or if if you don't really think of yourself as a a church person, here's what I would want you to hear um, today. When you actually read the authors of the New Testament, what you discover is that when it comes to following Jesus, uh, the core beliefs are, are actually quite simple, right? They're simple, they're memorable, and they're actionable. And while it's true there will always be some mystery around the periphery, and while it's true there will always be um, some interesting things to discuss and some, um, some peculiarities when it comes to the subject of theology, the truth is there is extraordinary clarity and there is even unity at the core. That one day Jesus gathered his disciples outside the region of Caesarea Philippi and he looked at them and he said, um, who is it that people say that I am? And it was the Apostle Peter who spoke up that day and said, okay, that's easy. Um, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right, Peter. I I am. I am the Son of the living God. And I'm going to build a brand new movement. I am going to build my church around that one simple idea, that idea of my identity, that idea of who it is that I am as the Son of the living God, which Jesus would later go on to punctuate with his own resurrection. And that idea, that belief, it is at the very core. It is at the very center of what it is that we believe as followers of Jesus, what it is that we believe as his church. In fact, if you were to gather all the followers of Jesus together throughout the entire world, um, from every single language, from every single ethnicity, from every single age of history, and from every side of all the political aisles, perhaps the only thing The only thing that we would all have in common in terms of belief is that one single idea that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of the living God. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry, he would gather together that same group of people and he said to them, now now that you know who it is that I am, here's what I want you to go and actually do. In fact, I'm going to give you a new commandment, Jesus said. I'm just, just one, just, just one brand new commandment, that you are to love one another the way that I have loved you. And this one command would prove to be so central, it would be so core to everything about Jesus' identity and everything about Jesus' ministry that Jesus went on and he actually said this. He said, by this, by this unique kind of love, this is how everyone will know that you are one of my followers, that you are one of my disciples, if you love one another. In other words, Jesus was saying as his followers, this is how we are to be characterized, and this is how we are to be recognized. And see, the longer you are a follower of Jesus, the more stunning this statement should be because this is the only thing. It is the only thing that Jesus ever commands us to go and do in order to show other people that we are, in fact, one of his followers. Nothing else. Imagine a world. Imagine a world where people were skeptical of what it is that we believe, but they were in fact envious of the way that we treated each other, and they were absolutely amazed at how we treated them. 
Because see, long before there were ever chapters and verses, there was a version of, of, of our faith that literally, there was a version of following Jesus that literally captured the attention of the entire world because of how it behaved and not simply what it believed. A version of our faith that people who were outside of the faith wanted to be true before they were able to believe that it was true. And see, it's the Apostle John. It's John who is one of uh, Jesus' closest friends and followers. It was John who, as an old man after all the other apostles had been killed, it was John who was the very first person in history, not simply in Christianity, he was the first person in the history of the world to say that God is love, which is a uniquely Christian idea. This same John wrote a letter to a group of followers of Jesus living in the first century. We're going to look at a section of this letter today. It's in 1 John chapter 3. And this might be new for you, depending on the type of church that you grew up in. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you are not a church person, or maybe if you used to be, then my hope is that perhaps you would actually be open, that you would find what we're going to talk about today so intriguing that perhaps you might be open to um, reconsidering or, or giving the idea of Jesus a second chance. And for those of you who are skeptical uh, about anything that you perceive or that you think of as organized religion, I, I totally understand that. I, I get that. But what I would ask for just a couple of moments is that you kind of suspend that disbelief for a little bit because what I'm about to read from uh, is nothing more than a letter that was written in the first century. It was written by a man, the Apostle John, and he was an eyewitness to the life and to the ministry of Jesus. And so he wrote a letter to other people in the first century who uh, were not eyewitnesses themselves, but who were also followers of Jesus. And so in a very real way, the Apostle John is writing this letter to you and to me today. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 3. This is the message that you heard from the beginning, right? In, the, in other words, from the very moment, the very first moment that you began to even consider the possibility that Jesus was the Son of God, from the very beginning of your faith journey, John is saying, this is what you were told, that we, we should love one another. John is saying, okay, listen, this is the foundation, right? This is following Jesus 101. This is the very thing, John says, that you heard when your walk with Jesus began. And then he goes on, and in this letter, he illustrates this point for us by telling a story about two Old Testament characters, Cain and Abel. And then he comes back in verse 14, and he says this. He says, we know we know that we have passed from death to life because, right? In other words, he's saying, listen, this is why we can have confidence that this is true. This is why we can have confidence that something has changed inside of us. This is why we can have confidence the Holy Spirit is, in fact, alive inside of us. Why? Is it because the Bible says so? No, John would say. The Bible hadn't even been written yet. Now, John was helping to write it, but he didn't even know it. Right, listen to what John, what John says. He says, we know that we have passed to life from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother or sister, he says, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. 
And then listen to what he says in the next verse, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Right? In other words, John is saying, I'm not talking about just general love. No, this is how we know what this unique brand of love is. This is how we know what that love looks like. John is saying, listen, something happened. Right? He's saying this is how we know what love looks like. Something happened. This is how we know how this love is experienced because something happened. John is saying, listen, I saw it. I experienced. This is how we know what this unique brand of love looks like. Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for us. And see, what John says next actually comes at the very center. It's at the very, very core of what it means to follow Jesus. This is the foundation for all we say we believe, and what he says next is, in fact, the foundation for everything that we do as followers of Jesus. It's what it is to be built on. He says this, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters, right? This is the central message. This is the central message of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In light of all that your heavenly Father has done for you through Jesus, this is what we, in the name of Jesus, are to go out and do in the lives of other people. But see, when you read this, Maybe you end up thinking the very same thing that John's audience thought was, which was, okay, well, that's fine, but, but who exactly are my brothers and my sisters? And see, certainly when you read the rest of John's letters and when you read his other letters, it becomes clear that the brothers and sisters are, are definitely those other followers of Jesus, but, but it's also more than that. In fact, Jesus made sure that John, as well as the other first century followers, would know that it was more than that because when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, he, he actually played this out for us in real life because you remember a lawyer came to Jesus one day and he knew, um, he knew that he was supposed to love his neighbor. And so he says to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And in that moment, Jesus told an incredible story with an incredible punchline, a story that would go on to change the world, even though the world didn't realize it. And Jesus said, your neighbor is, in fact, anyone who has a need that you can meet. Your neighbor is anyone, whether they're Jewish or not, Gentile or not, live in your neighborhood or not, religious or not. Your neighbor is anyone who has a need that you can meet. And then Jesus would go on and illustrate the story that he just told by dying on a cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his son's life. To which we might then say to John, okay, John, short of uh, of dying for my brothers and sisters, short of dying for my neighbors. John, short of literally physically giving up my life for my brothers, my sisters, for those people who have needs. John, what, what does this actually look like? I mean, John, what, are, what exactly are you saying that we should do? To which John would say, well, I'm glad that, that you asked because he tells us in verse 17, if anyone, right? So that would include us. If anyone has material possessions, and that would certainly be us, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, and what John says next in this verse is in fact so graphic, 
that our modern English translations have kind of sanitized this. They've even dumbed it down a bit for us. In fact, the New International Version, which I use and I read from all the time, which we have in our church right now, this is how the New International Version translates the next part of, of John's words. He says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, But see, that's not actually what the Greek text says. The the Greek text actually says says this right here. Kleisetas spagnu autu op autu, right? Which literally translated means shuts up the bowels of him from him. And and this this word right here, this Greek word kleise, it means to, to block passage at an opening. Right, this is, it's kind of a graphic picture. John is saying to block passage at an opening. But that is John's point, right? To block passage at an opening. Now, in 1611, when the King James Version was actually written, the translators of the King James, they did not feel the need to be socially appropriate. They didn't believe in things like etiquette or any of those things. And so they just kind of, you know, went with what the text truly said. And this is what this verse says in the King James Version. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. Because, see, listen, this is what John was originally intending to say. Now, let me translate this for us, right? Now, let me put this into our words now. And this is the JAC version of this, right? So don't write it down. If you see someone in need, and all of a sudden you know you get financially stopped up, you might be full of something. But it ain't the love of Jesus. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how? Right? This is the question. This is the question that I have to ask myself continuously. I hope this is the question that you ask yourself. This is the question that perhaps, if the many, many, many generations before us had been asking and answering this question correctly, then perhaps there would not be so much resistance to the message of Jesus in our world today. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, and has no pity on them, closes up on the inside, shuts their heart down, shuts their compassion down. How? How can the love of God be in them? See, this is why John uses such graphic language in in this part of his letter, because, see, John saw Jesus crucified. Right? I mean, he literally saw the price that Jesus paid for his sin and for my sin and for your sin. And this was not a story that John heard. No, this was history that he witnessed. And so imagine that. I mean, imagine seeing your best friend crucified and you had hoped, right? You had hoped that he was, in fact, the Son of God. But then a few days later, you end up having breakfast with him on a beach somewhere. And so you conclude that he was, in fact, who he claimed to be, that he is, in fact, the Son of God, and that he was right 
when he said about himself that the Son of Man, the Son of God, he did not come to be served, but instead he actually came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And see, those men and women in the first century who witnessed both Jesus' resurrection as well as his crucifixion, I mean, they understood. They understood, who are we? I mean, how dare we? How dare we ever shut down our hearts, shut down our minds, shut down our compassion when we come face to face with a person who is in need? In light of all that God has done for us, in light of all that God has done for me, in light of all that God has done for you, John would say, listen, if seeing a need in another person that we can meet, if that causes us to freeze up and close up, then John would say, listen, it's all just become a fairy tale for you. It's just become a storybook story for you. It's become something that happened, you know, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's lost its connection to to you and to me and to our world. Because, see, John would say, listen, if you would have stood there with me and, and his mother and seen what we had seen, if you had witnessed this, and then if it had dawned on you the significance of what it is that you had seen and what it is that God actually did, that Jesus gave his life for this person in need, that Jesus actually gave his life for this person who has a need that I can meet or that I can help to meet or that I can consider helping to meet, and for me to just kind of close up on the inside? If Jesus gave his life for that person, then certainly I can spare a few dollars. Certainly I can spare a few minutes. Certainly I can spare some of my extra, some of of my talent. Certainly if we had seen what John had seen, then we would be happy to do for others what others in that moment cannot do for themselves. Because see, that's the gospel. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. While we were dead and helpless in our trespasses, in our sin, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus, He did something for us. And so now He asks those of us who are followers of His Son to say, He says to us simply, listen, I want you to live a life that reflects that kind of generosity for the people in your world. And let's be clear, this is not about doing something for others that you hope will someday do for you. No, this is about doing for others in light of what's already been done for you. John continues in verse 18 and he says this, he says, Dear children, let us not love with words or with speech. In other words, let's not just preach about it and let's not just sing about it. Don't miss this. But with action and in truth. And then this is the part that might be new for you, depending on what type of church you actually grew up in. In verse 19, he says this, This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Right? In other words, John is saying, listen, this is how we have assurance. 
John's telling us, listen, the, the assurance of where it is that you stand with your heavenly Father, that has nothing to do with a prayer that you prayed. Instead, it is found in doing for others what has already been done for you. It's found in the love that you do. And that's why we do four. Now, if you're new, the four campaign is our chance once a year for all of us to celebrate corporately what it is that Jesus has done for every single one of us individually. And we call this four because it is so easy, right, especially today in our world, but it is so easy for any of us, for all of us to simply think about and to talk about what it is that we are against. But see, what our world needs, what our communities need, what our friends need, is they need to know what it is that we as followers of Jesus, what it is that we are for, that we are for people, that we are for giving, that we are for serving, that we are for loving, that we are for our nation, we are for our communities, and we are for our world. Because as the people who represent God to this world, we want every single person to know that we believe, we believe that everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. Because this is what Jesus taught. Now, this is the third year of our four campaign. In the two previous years, um, you have given over $60,000 to help support critical nonprofits and ministries in Metro Detroit and around our world. And so, um, the way this works is we know that just, um, just in our own community, let alone the whole world, right, there are far more needs than we as one single church than we'll ever be able to meet. And so, we decided that instead of going out and trying to start a whole bunch of things, um, that we're just going to go out, we're going to find the, the ministries, we're going to find the nonprofits that are already doing amazing work, that are hitting it out of the park, um, helping people in need and showing the love of Jesus to, to people. And so what we do is we go and we find the charities, we find the nonprofits, we find the ministries that are making a difference, and instead of competing with them, we partner with them. We give them the fuel that they need to go further, faster, and we help them to win at what it is that God has called them and placed them in this world to do. Nonprofits that focus on things um, like hunger, medical care, um, housing, human trafficking, education, family stabilization, and of course, community health. And there's two components to the four campaign. There is a give component and there is a sponsor component. And our goal is 100% participation. We want every individual to give and we want every home to sponsor. And we are set up today for everyone, whether you're here in person in the room with us or if you're watching online, we are set up for everyone to participate in both of these components of four. And so we're asking 100% of you to give, and then we're going to give 100% of it away. No service charges, no handling fees, no shipping costs, right? Whatever comes in, 100% of it goes out. That's why during our four campaign, I do not mind pressing you a little hard to give. Whether you're a church person, not a church person, or can't stand the church person, it does not matter to me because this is not about us. This is about our community, and this is about our world. And listen, I know you want to make a difference. And I know you want to be generous. And this is how you can do both. Now, the great news is this. Due to COVID, nothing has changed. 
We're still asking 100% of you to give, and there are no restrictions on capacity, so we're still asking 100% of you to sponsor. We're asking everyone to take part in both of these components. First, the give component. I'm asking everybody today for a one-time gift of $19.95. That's right, for just $19.95, you too can change the world, right? And some of you, right, some of you, you can be more generous than this. And if you can... I hope that you will, because that would be awesome. And, and again, 100% of whatever comes in, all of it, right, over the course of these four weeks, the 1995, 100% of what comes into four, all of it is going to go outside of this place. If everybody who is watching today, either in the room or online, if you all participate, we will raise more than $20,000 today, which is going to allow us to partner with three awesome nonprofit ministries um, right here in Michigan and right here in Metro Detroit. Those nonprofits are Trinity Community Care, How House of Hope, and Base Camp. Now, Trinity Community Care is located in Shelby Township, Michigan. It is a gold-rated medical and dental clinic that it was actually founded by a group of doctors, dentists, and nurses, um, right from, from some from faith, some from some area, other area churches, all of whom had a passion for using their gifts and talents on the mission field in places like Haiti and Brazil. And so they decided, um, why not bring that same passion and that same energy back into their own home community and do the very same thing? Because they believe um, that Jesus did not call us to retreat from the pain and the suffering in our world, but rather to enter into it. Now, House of Hope is located in Oxford, Michigan, and um, their vision is to see families who are living in mobile home communities reach their full potential through love and acceptance by Jesus Christ. House of Hope is actually led by two amazing women, uh, Brooke and Alyssa, who live in the community that they minister to. They operate a tutoring program, they operate a student ministry, and they also help the families who are in need in those mobile home communities with both food as well as repairs to their homes. Base Camp is an experience that more than 300 men from faith have participated in, where men get the opportunity to hear another man's life story, a story that's real, a story that's raw, and a story that is redemptive, right? That's the part that many of you are familiar with, but that's only half of the story. Because Base Camp is also a nonprofit whose ultimate goal is to help men see God's story of redemption in light of their story of brokenness, brokenness that's the result of pornography, or addictions, or affairs, or anything else that men use to hide. They believe that if communities and families are going to be healthy, that men need to be healthy. And so they do this through a series of day-long retreats that are led by counselors, psychologists, and other trained professionals, all that are focused on helping men to discover their true identity in Jesus. Now, here's the part that makes all of this um, so much fun. None of these organizations have any idea that we're doing this today. None of them have asked us for a dime. They have no clue this is happening. And so we're just going to keep this our little secret, although I'm thinking that right now Brooke and Alyssa may have just had their day made for them because they may have just found out about this for the very first time. So let's just not, let's not tell anybody else. Let's just keep this our little secret and keep it in the room. And again, let me be clear on this. 
We give it all away, right? 100% of what comes in, no shipping and handling charges, no service fees of any kind. You're 1995. It will be a game changer for those three ministries. It will be life changing for the people that those three ministries serve. Now, that's just the first part, right? That's just the give part. The second part is the sponsor part. Now, I'm going to ask Autumn to come on up and join me uh, on stage for just a couple of moments. This is the part that Autumn and I are so uh, excited to share with all of you today because we get the opportunity to introduce you to an amazing organization called Children's Hope Chest. Yeah, this past January, Joe and I got the opportunity to travel with Children's Hope Chest to Guatemala and see firsthand both the ministry and the need. One of the hardest things that I've ever seen in my entire life was walking through a garbage dump just outside of Guatemala City. There's a single road that runs into the dump, and on one side there's a ravine, and that's where the garbage is dumped each day. And there's also dozens and dozens and dozens of children that search through that garbage for their food and also anything that they can sell and scavenge. It's also um, where there's a hill, and on that hill there's a fire that burns periodically. That hill causes an avalanche, and anyone that's in the way is crushed. Now, in the Mayan religion, they believe that that is one of their gods taking a sacrifice. And this is where my special treasure ministry was born. The couple, Vanessa and Luis, lead this ministry. And I'm so excited to say it all began when the Holy Spirit moved in Vanessa's heart. And she decided she had to do something to help the women and the children on the streets. So she made a home for them to live in. And there they learned about God's love for them, and they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And thankfully, she knew that the only way they were truly going to know about their Heavenly Father's love for them and their true worth was if they served and shared the gospel to themselves. So she got permission to use the stable in the dump for a school. They would move the cows out of the stable, and every day they would come in and teach the children about Jesus' love for them, and um, the ministry grew. And pretty soon, uh, as you can imagine, God was faithful and the number of women, the number of children that were meeting uh, at the dump in this stable, it outgrew the physical space uh, of the stable. And so Vanessa and Luis, uh, they began to search uh, for a, a new place that they could actually meet in. And at the very same time, if you can picture this, at Vanessa's father's church, which was a little closer in town, a brothel was being built right across from the church. Prostitution is legal in Guatemala. And so as you can imagine, the members of that church began to pray that God would stop the construction of the brothel, um, but he never did. And so Vanessa and Luis, they decided to go and meet um, with the owner of the brothel, and they asked and received permission to rent it from him and to use that brothel instead as a school for these children that grew up and lived in the dump. Today, more than 225 children at My Special Treasure meet in the very same rooms which were built intending to exploit women, but for which our Heavenly Father had a much better purpose. It's in these very rooms that these children are fed. They are educated. They are cared for medically, and they learn about their Heavenly Father, and they learn about their Savior, Jesus. Every single day, 225 kids meet in this building 
But there are about 75 additional children that Vanessa and Luis would like to bring in from the dump and from the community and bring into my special treasure. And see, that's where we come in. And so I'm going to ask that for just a moment that you would turn your attention to the screen. Autumn and I had the chance to travel and experience this personally, and uh, we wanted to introduce uh, our two friends, Will and Atkelt, to you. Uh, they are both from Children's Hope Chest. Um, Atkelt is the community director for Guatemala, and Will is in charge of helping partnerships, helping um, these new relationships to develop between churches in the states and between ministries and churches in Guatemala. And one of the things that captured our heart for Autumn and I right away um, is how different uh, this, this program is set up, where if you caught on the video, um, what will happen, and, and I really want this to happen today. Um, if you sign up to be a sponsor today, uh, you're going to get your picture taken. Mm. Your picture is then going to go to Guatemala, and in about a week, they're going to have this same kind of an experience in their church at My Special Treasure, and then those families and those kids specifically that are waiting for uh, a partner family, um, they're going to choose you. They're going to choose us. And that's how the relationship begins. That's the friendship model. So, Will, can you, anything else about that that you want us to, to know? Yeah, I absolutely love that. And uh, it's so good to be with all of you. Uh, Children's Hope Chest is in Colorado Springs. But I live and work remotely on the west side of the state in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So I just had to travel down 94 to see all of you today, and that's such a blessing. Um, what's wonderful is uh, what Pastor Joe just said is this idea that the children are choosing you. And so when you go out to sponsor one child, two child, three child, there'll be some in here that can sponsor eight children. Absolutely. But we'll take your picture, and all of your pictures will be hung up on a wall. And the beautiful thing is we capture that with video, and um, oftentimes the lead pastors and staff will go down to actually be a part of this. Right. And so they know which family is the last one chosen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they'll come back and share that too, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> no, we know, actually. That's right. Um, but that's the beautiful thing is from the beginning of the relationship, this is yeah. one of the things that uh, kind of sets Hope Chest uh, apart a little bit differently is we want to... Um, we want the children to have voice and choice because when you're giving a child a choice, you're creating dignity. Right. 
When you're giving a child a voice, you're empowering that child, not only in the moment, for their futures. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to connect through relationship where both you and that child's lives are transformed. One of the things you've heard me talk about so many times is what was central to Jesus' heart was to raise the value, raise the dignity of women and children. Mm -hmm. This is what this model does. This is why we're so excited about being able to partner with Children's Hope Chest. And again, um, this is a two-way relationship, right? It's a a genuine relationship that happens. And uh, I asked Will to share because he told me about a story that you just got this a couple days ago. That's right. right. So I asked him if he would mind reading. Um, This is a letter uh, that he got that was between uh, a a partner family uh, here in the States and then a partner family in um, another country. Right. So it's a a relationship that was birthed in this sponsorship, in this friendship model. And uh, it's wonderful when we get letters, but this one one touched our entire staff. Uh, She writes, at midnight we received a phone call from my son-in-law, Brian. He was crying and told us that my daughter, Stephanie, was life-flighted to Twin Falls. She had COVID and pneumonia and was in the ICU on a ventilator. The doctors gave us little hope that she would survive. We were beyond devastated. My family believes in prayer, so I sent out daily requests for prayer to my prayer warriors and gave updates. On the fourth day, I knew that the doctors and nurses had done all they could to save Stephanie, and she was not showing any signs of improvement. I realized at this point that there was a very good chance that the Lord would take Stephanie home. I hit rock bottom, but I gave her to God, and I requested whether that she lived or whether she died, that God would use her life and her story for his glory. The very next day, I received a precious picture and a message from the boys that we sponsor and other members of the care point that we're partnered with. And it said that they're praying for Stephanie. I was awestruck that they carried and cared so much and loved my family so well. I felt the love of God wrapping me in his arms. Through Hope Chest, the message of my daughter's illness traveled around the world. Prayers sent up to God from around the world were placed at his feet. Very next day, my daughter began to show signs of improvement. Today, she's home with her husband, her precious daughter, because a loving and caring world came together in prayer, and I'm eternally grateful. And so it's not just about stepping in and helping the poor and the needy. It's about an opportunity to be in relationship where both are transformed. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Thank you, Will. And at Cal. Okay. Um, come on f- over here. Okay. And uh, at Kelt is, again, the community director for Guatemala, uh, which is where my special treasure is located. And um, if, at Kelt, if you could just tell us maybe if there's anything that I left out about my special treasure that you think everybody at Faith needs to hear. Okay. And uh, first of all, it's a delight to be here today. Um, and yeah, Children's Hope Chest provides uh, hope, restores hope for those who need it most. Uh, and in communities like my special uh, treasure education center, we, we go in and empower local leaders like Luis and Umbani, who are doing an amazing job in their communities. Um, and so we have uh, three phases of uh, community development, uh, survive, thrive, 
um, and, and succeed. So we don't uh, only go there and do survival things. We want the community to, to thrive. We want the community to uh, and succeed. And our, we see our success as when the community no longer depends uh, on our support. Um, and so uh, at my special treasure, uh, treasure education center, there are uh, amazing programs that are going. But I want to tell you about the vocational uh, trainings that they are doing with students uh, to uh, help them thrive uh, in, in their life. So they have a bakery program, uh, they have a, a carpentry program, and they also have the auto mechanic program where they teach the children uh, life skills. Uh, so if they want to pursue those vocations, you know, they have a good start. But if they have other dreams, uh, that would help them jumpstart, like while they are uh, if they want to study, for example, you know, they can work and generate uh, income uh, you know, to go to school. Or if they want to start a business, uh, they, they can generate income. Uh, so these, these are you know, great programs and great start that we are seeing at uh, My Special Trade Education Center. And today we are inviting you into uh, this friendship, uh, as we call it. It's a friendship, it's a relationship that transforms uh, the, the community at my special treasure education center, but also transforms face, um, face joy. Uh, and I have a, a personal, uh, I am a personal testimony uh, for what, how powerful relationship is. Because I grew up in Ethiopia, in Addis Ababa, it's a very big city, uh, and a very broken community. Uh, and when um, people who uh, decided to help, uh, a sponsorship organization came through our church, and that gave uh, hope uh, to me personally, to my family, and other families in, a, in our community. And this family in England uh, picked me, uh, and then they sponsored me for nine years. They wrote letters to me, they prayed for me, they shared life with me. And that relationship meant a lot. And God used uh, uh, their obedience uh, and this relationship to transform my life personally. So uh, today, yeah, we're just inviting you into uh, this uh, transformational relationships and friendships. Uh, and so, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Akel. Thank you both. So the operative word here is today, right? This is so important because in just a couple of weeks, as you heard, again, uh, you heard Will say, in a week or so, this is going to begin in Guatemala. For those of you who sign up and who sponsor today, um, you will go down and you will be opening up your family um, to be a tool used by the Holy Spirit to impact the life of a child that you do not know yet, but who your Heavenly Father does. That child will choose you, and then you will get information back from your child, um, your sponsor family. You will actually get to meet them face to face. They will, you, get a, you will get a packet from Guatemala. Um, with your child's information, their family information, and you're going to find out um, what it was about you that made them want to choose you. Now, again, this is just the first part of sponsorship as well. The second part of sponsorship is when you choose to adopt a child for Christmas this year through Gifts for All God's Children, because when you do that, you are, in fact, raising the reputation of a whole bunch of churches all throughout our community because those children that receive those gifts every year through Gifts for All God's Children, they receive those gifts from a church. 
Right? So I want to put up on the screen the list of churches that we're partnering with this year. And please do not miss this. When you sponsor a child through Gifts for All God's Children, you are raising the reputation of these churches in their home communities as they reach out to everyone with the love of Jesus. And so first, right, give 1995. Second, I, I would like all of you um, to consider uh, joining Autumn and I as we are partnering with uh, Guatemala Hope Chest and becoming a, a sponsor family. Uh, I would ask that you would consider doing the same thing and um, sponsor a child this year through Gifts for All God's Children. For those of you who are watching online right now, um, we're going to put three different um, items into the chat box, one for the 1995, one for Children's Hope Chest, and one for Gifts for All God's Children. So if you're watching right now, you can participate and be a part of this as well. For those of you in the room, when you leave today, after we worship together, um, when you leave, there'll be people there. They'll answer your questions. Will and Atkeld will be there to talk more about Hope Chest as well as some other volunteers. And we will get to celebrate what God is going to do in so many people's lives in Metro Detroit and around our world through your generous 1995. See, the bottom line is this. Now more than ever, the people in this community, the people in our community, in our world, in our nation, um, they need us to come together and to do something extraordinary to remind them of how incredibly important they are to their Heavenly Father because this is what we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus, right? Because as a follower of Jesus, generosity, generosity is the trademark of a follower of Jesus. And here's the part that I love, and you might think this is silly, but I think this is great. Um, When you do this, right, when you participate in this, right, you get credit in heaven. Jesus said it, not me. But the church, the church gets credit in the community. And you know why that matters? You've heard me say this before. Because everybody in America thinks something when they hear the word church. But you know what they should think? They should think, listen, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I don't know if I buy all that. I'm not sure about all that stuff, but I got to tell you, those are the most compassionate. They are the most generous. They are the most for me people in our community. And I don't know if I'll ever go to church, but I'm so thankful that there is a church in my backyard because those people, those church people, those followers of Jesus people, they make our community and they make our world better. Because, see, the Apostle Paul was right. And when we get this right as followers of Jesus, then Jesus' church, it shines like stars in the sky. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for how incredibly generous you have been to each of us and to all of us. Jesus, thank you for putting our needs and our interests ahead of your own. And Jesus, thank you so much for the unending generosity and kindness that you have shown to us. And Father, I pray that as we spend the next few weeks together in this campaign, as we are uh, prayerfully considering if you would have us to be uh, partner families today in Guatemala, Father, I pray that none of us would take what we're going to talk about together lightly. That as Jesus' church, that we would recognize that we are here for one reason. And that reason is to take the message of, of Jesus into the lives of every single person that we know. That we would bring Jesus into every relationship. And so, Father, we ask that you would use us 
to communicate your love with action and in truth. And Jesus, we pray all of this in your amazing and powerful name. Amen.